much of religion in America today has gotten so far away from the Bible that it's no similarity. But I'm going to tell you something the Lord said to me as I was sitting there. All across this nation, while most of religion is apostate and no longer believes Jesus is the only way, and I'm not even going to go there, but I'm going to tell you something. The body of Christ in America is real. And in every little town and hamlet, the big cities, there are people just like the one sitting here that know that God is our only hope. And they're praying, and they're believing God. And that's why we're still sitting here. It is that remnant. It is the body of Christ in the midst of false religion. It's the body of Christ that is praying and trusting and believing and crying out for mercy. God, God, you know, God does not overlook. And Brother Ed said it, and I agree. If the church of Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about religion now. You can't judge the church by religion in this land. If the church of Jesus Christ will just rise up and pray and be the church, God could absolutely work a miracle and turn us back. And, and my message today, basically, is how God can use you to make a difference, how God can use me. And, and, and it's, it's very practical. And the thing I, I thought about as I wrote this down was everybody in this room can do this, everyone. Doesn't remind, matter what, how old you are, doesn't matter you know, where you've been and what you've been through. I mean, not a person in this room cannot be a part of the solution, a part of how God can use you to make a difference in our land. You can turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of um, Matthew. We'll get there in, in a while. Uh, there, there are a number of verses that we're going to, um, to look at, but the best place for you to start is, uh, is the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. You know, tomorrow... We celebrate the 235th anniversary of our Declaration of Independence, 235 years. That's not long for a nation, I'm telling you. That is not long, 235 years since we declared our independence. Today, I, I want to bring a positive message about how you and I can make a difference. I, I want to bring a challenge to you, how that we can be used by God to help turn this nation back to our foundation and back to our roots. And the thing that encourages me is that every one of us can be a part of what God's going to do. I don't intend this morning to just be negative and talk about all of our problems. Because, see, we think about them every day. We think about the economic problems that we have as a nation. And you think about it much and you just say, well, wow. And we think about the moral problems that we have as a nation, and they're great. We think about the spiritual problems. We, you know, we think about those every day, and we face them every day on the television and world events, and we just say, man, you know, we're, we're in serious trouble. And so there's it, it no need for us to go back and just rehearse that because it is a reality. Uh, America's in intensive care, and God needs to work a miracle. And the way it's going to happen is through the body of Christ. A verse came to me, didn't know exactly where it was, but then the Holy Spirit reminded me, 
You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you don't need to turn there. That was when Israel confronted the Philistines and confronted Goliath. That was when they went to battle. Goliath came out and stood and challenged the Israelites, said, come and fight. And they were all afraid and and in fear. And David's father said to David, go down and take some food to your brothers at the front of the battle. He had his brothers in battle. David was behind taking care of the sheep. And so David goes down to take some supplies to his brothers who are there going to fight the Philistines. Well, of course, when David gets there, he, he goes with them to the battle line. And sure enough, here comes Goliath and, and challenges um, uh, the Israelites. And, and so you know the story. Well, in 1 Samuel uh, 17, David asked a question uh, when he saw this. He said, then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man who kills Goliath? What are they going to do to the man who kills him? What shall be done to the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? And then, then he said it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of Israel, to defy the armies of the living God? He said, who is this anyway? But the verse that came to me is just a few verses later. David was uh, talking about this, and his brother, Eliab, kind of got upset with David. And in verse 26, he said, David, listen, what are you doing down here anyway? Why don't you go back and take care of the sheep in the desert like you're supposed to? You're arrogant and you're insolent. He said, and boy, his brother just absolutely raked David over the coals. But you know what David's answer was? This is the verse. Man, it is such a strong verse. And David said, he was saying to his brother, what have I done wrong? What have I done? Is there not a cause? Now, I want you to think what he said. He said, Eliab, why in the world are you putting me down? Is there not a cause? Here's an uncircumcised Philistine defying the armies of the living God. Why in the world? He's bringing a reproach upon Israel. He said, Alive, don't you understand? Is there not a cause? And then he, he turns and talks to some other people, and, and, and they kind of say, Well, you, David, you're just a kid. You don't want. And then he said it again. But let me ask you all a question Is there not a cause? And their answer is There's never been a time in our nation when there's been a greater cause than it is right now. Is there not a cause for the body that would cause the body of Christ, the church of the living God, to rise up and to make a difference and to turn us as a nation back to our foundation and roots? And the question is, there is a cause. Without question, there is a cause. Now, I begin to think about the fact that in our nation, there are forces of evil that they have a cause. And they are committed to that cause. And they're committed to taking us away from our foundation and our roots as a nation. While certainly the body of Christ has the greatest cause that we've ever had. And we'll talk about that. There are others, forces of evil, who also have a cause and who are committed to that cause and are greatly responsible to some degree 
for the moral condition of our nation today. I'm just going to mention three, and I'm not going to linger with them long. Perhaps the one group that has a cause that have been used to bring evil and sinful things upon this nation is the American Civil Liberties Union. You see, in the name of freedom, quote unquote, operating under the myth of separation of church and state, do you realize through the court system, the American Civil Liberties Union has basically had an agenda to remove from public life every aspect of the Christian faith. I mean, where did this idea that you, you could no longer have prayer in schools, whether it was a silent prayer and any person of any religion could pray? Where did all that come? There was court battles, Madeline Mary O'Hare, American Civil, and so they took away. And then there was the uh, 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 said you can't pray before a ball game. And so little by little through the court system, the American Civil Liberties Union has done everything they could to, especially because we are a, a nation with Christian roots, they have done everything they can to say, you cannot have a nativity scene on a public property. And so little by little, they've had an agenda, I promise you. And their agenda under the myth of separation in church and state has basically taken away the freedom of expression for much of the Christian faith. I mean, really, it, it's, it's been a, it, it, they have an agenda, they're committed to it. But I'll tell you another thing. Not only this deal of separation of church and state, but the myth of freedom of speech and expression. Every time there's a moral evil that, we, that the people rise up and say, that's wrong. We're not going to have that. Whether it's pornography or whatever, it's just there's a moral evil. So what the American Civil Liberties Union does, they file a suit, the court battle, and they says that take away our First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, our freedom of expression. And it's amazing. It is amazing the ungodly and holy, unholy things that have been allowed on the airwaves and other things simply because these people have a cause. They have an agenda. And it is evil as far as our nation is concerned. I mean, they have a cause. They're committed to it. And they've made a difference in this country. Then I was reminded more keenly of the fact, and, and, and listen to me before you jump to any conclusions here, that there, there is the homosexual and lesbian agenda that is, that is powerful in this nation. Just this past June in Phoenix, when the Southern Baptist Convention had its, had its meeting, guess who was picketing outside of the meeting? It was those groups, and they have names, and I should have looked up their names. There are three of them that are committed to the promotion of same-sex marriage and total acceptance of the homosexual and lesbian agenda in this nation. And, and they were picketing. Well, the president of our convention said, well, I'll meet with them. So Bryant Wright had a meeting with these three powerful groups that are promoting the homosexual and lesbian agenda. And they, and they did everything in this world, saying how damaging he was to human life and how prejudiced he was and how, and how the Southern Baptist Convention was, was a curse against them. And, and they did everything they could to persuade him. He said, you know, listen. That we, don't, we don't have a choice here. We either obey God or we obey man. And the Bible says that adultery is a sin and homosexuality and lesbianism is an abomination to God. How can we change our position and be true to the word of God? But I'm telling you, unbelievable pressure. Which was brought. That's just one example 
of how they have a cause. In Memphis, they, they were trying to pass a law that the city could not have a contract with any contracting company unless they had uh, no sexual preference and were, uh, would employ homosexuals or lesbians. And, and so they were trying to pass the law in Memphis that you couldn't do business with the city unless you had openness about that. And thank God the body of Christ in that city rose up and defeated that agenda. Nashville had already voted to do it. And when Memphis took a stand and said, no, we're not going to give in to that. You know, a company, an independent company ought to have the right to employ whoever it wants to. And so they, Nashville rep- repealed their thing. But you see, they, they do have an agenda. They are committed to that. Same-sex marriage, uh, no gender. I, I mean, so we've got to understand that there are people who have a cause. Now, they have a cause, and they're committed to that cause. And that David said, when, when, when the Philistine Goliath was defying the armies of God, he said, listen, come on, guys. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Then there are other group that we've fought in, in Mobile for years is secular humanism. See, secular humanism has been at the root of the moral erosion of our nation. You, you see, Him Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2, signed by John Dewey, who was the p- father of progressive education, infiltrated all of our universities and colleges in this land, and also infiltrated the, the textbooks of our, our public schools. Secular humanism, let me quote from Humanist Manifesto 1, no deity will save us, we must save ourselves. Let me quote again from Humanist Manifesto 1, it says, it says, any truth that promises heaven or hell and salvation, these truths are illusory and are harmful to the American dream and to American uh, aspirations. They said, look, uh, this, this thing of religion is a harmful thing. Uh, and another thing they said, that nothing is right or wrong. It's called situational ethics. This is exactly where our country is right now. 65% say there are no moral absolutes. No thou shalt and thou shalt not. Where did it come from? Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2. There are no moral absolutes. Situational ethics. The situation determines if it's right and the situation determines if it's wrong. That's where the freedom of choice and abortion and all of that found its roots. It permeated our education. It is still the theme of, of, of higher education. In the, I'm going to tell you about secular humanists. This is another name for atheism. They have an agenda. Are you listening to me? They have a cause. And so here are just three groups that I've mentioned with the backing of liberal media, have absolutely had a cause. And we are in the condition we are in today simply because they've been committed to that cause, unwavering in that cause. And they're stronger today than they've ever been. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. If anybody in this world has a cause, if anyone has a cause, it is the church of the living God. It is the body of Christ. What a cause we have. You see, our cause did not come from any man. Our cause came from our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a cause that is mandated by the Son of God. And it's absolutely clear in the Scripture. And I think the church needs to come back and come to grips with the fact that, wait a minute, we have the greatest cause of anything in this world. And not only do we have the greatest cause, we have truth. We have truth. And truth is the greatest thing in this world. But not only do we have truth, we have power. 
And so the answer is, is there not a cause? And you better believe it. For the church, for the body of Christ, there is a cause. And the time is for the church is to say, who are these uncircumcised Philistines to defy the armies of the living God? I mean, there is a cause. And Jesus Christ told us what our cause is. I want to mention three things today that I believe is the cause that we have. And I want to show you how that every one of you can, can be a part of this cause. You see, they all come as a mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to name the three, then I'm going to deal with them. First of all, we have the mandate from Jesus, a mandate from the Son of God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tongue, tribe, and nation. We have a mandate from Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to every man or woman, regardless of race, color, and creed. That was his mandate as he departed to go back to heaven, to his church. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every human being on the face of this earth. But secondly, there was the mandate that Jesus gave to his church, not only to share the gospel, but to be light and to be salt. Now, what a mandate that is. When you understand darkness and how darkness hates light, and then you understand, but that Jesus said to that small band of followers who had the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit, who it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. When you understand that he said to that band, you are light and you are salt. What a powerful mandate Jesus gave to those followers that they were to be light and to be salt. Then the third cause, not only to share the gospel, with every human being, and not only in this dark and decaying world to be light and to be salt, but then the mandate to be intercessors, to intercede for a nation that God would spare it and turn that nation. We are to be, there was a mandate to pray for those in authority and a mandate for us to be intercessors on behalf of this land. Folks, listen, the answer to darkness and the answer to wickedness and evil and sin, the answer to any agenda or cause is that people need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Listen, people without Christ are lost. The Bible says an unsaved person is lost, they're blind, they're dead in their trespasses and sin. So Jesus, as he's about to leave, he's about to leave. This is what he says to disciples. You remember what he said? This is one, not an option. It was the mandate. He said, I want to give you a cause. He said, all authority, Jesus did, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jesus said to his disciples, the answer to wickedness and ungodliness and sin and darkness is that men and women have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that changes their lives and enables them to be the person God created them to be. So is there a cause? Yes, there is a cause. 
that you and I, Luke 418 Fellowship, the body of Christ across America, that we will answer the cause of Christ. And that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person in this land. The people we work with, our neighbors that live around us. I am telling you, once people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, everything changes. They're no longer living in the darkness. They're now living in the light. I'm telling you all, Acts 1.8 is absolutely clear. Now listen to what it said. He said this to the church, Jesus did. Right before he ascended, you shall receive power. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me. Listen to what he said to his church. You've got a cause. In a, in a land of atheism and secularism. and a land full of unbelief. He said you've got a cause. He said you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Jesus. You shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem. At home. In Judea. In the state. In Samaria. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Is the church without a cause? You shall be witnesses to me. John 17, 16. You know what Jesus said? As you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. The Father sent Jesus into the world to seek and to save those that were lost. And just as the Father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world just like the Father sent me. Folks, listen, we have a cause, and it is to share Jesus Christ with every human being in America, to share Jesus Christ with every person that we possibly can. Because I'm telling you, the answer to darkness and sin is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, did you know that's what the early church did? Did you know the early church did exactly what Jesus said? You know what it says in Acts 542? And daily in the temple, and from house to house, they ceased not to say that Jesus was the Christ. Man, you look at the book of Acts, and it says daily in the temple, from house to house, they ceased not to teach that Jesus is the Christ. They did exactly what Jesus said. It says over in Acts chapter 8, there was a great persecution in the church. And says, and they that were scattered, listen to this, the church, went everywhere preaching the word. Folks, our cause is greater than the ACLUC. It's greater than any other cause. Listen to me. We have a cause. We have a mandate to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every human being. Every human being. And I'm telling you, God's placed people in your life. And you can be a witness to them. You can love them. You can reach out to them. They may be not receive it at first, but it's hard to resist love and truth. I'm telling you, we, we must have our cause that is greater than any other cause, and that is to share Jesus Christ with every human being. But in Matthew 5, I want you to look there with me. You know what he said? The second cause, our mandate from Jesus by the way, we all can do this. Every one of us can share Christ. In our own way, we can do that. But then he said to his believers, but wait a minute, you've got to understand something. They're going to persecute you because of who you are. But then he went on to say in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, notice what he said down in, in verse 11, Matthew 5, 11. 
Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. They vilify the body of Christ today. They vilify the church. They call us right-wing fundamentalists. They call us everything but what they shouldn't call. I mean, but, but are you surprised? They that live godly in Christ Jesus will say, suffer persecution. He said, now I'm telling you, you're not going to be popular when you stand for truth and you speak the truth. He said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For so great is your reward in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Now listen to what he said about you and me. I mean, that's every child of God. Listen to what he said. You're the salt of the earth. What in the world is he talking about? He said, I'm telling you, I'm leaving you behind. I'm going to live in you by the Holy Spirit. But you're the salt of the earth. Now, if the salt loses its flavor, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. If the salt loses its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He said, you cannot lose your saltiness. You cannot lose your purpose. He said, if not, you just might as well be thrown out and trodden under the foot of men. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Then he went on and said, listen to verse 14. You're the light of the world. You said, Brother Fred, I, I'm not, I wish Jesus hadn't told me that. No, but he told you that. You're the salt of the earth. He said, you're the light of the of the world. What a statement to make about a small group of people who basically later on the way said the people that turned the world upside down have come here also. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You put it on a, a lampstand so that light can give all in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Wow. What part of that don't I understand? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Not glorify you. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, we have a cause. It is greater than any cause any human organization could ever have. I'm telling you. One, to share Jesus Christ with every human being in this nation. But two, to be light. Wherever God puts us, to be light. To be light. Now Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter, he said, now listen to what he said. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. So get this. Our light comes from Jesus. Our light comes from following Jesus. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. Now, you know what light does? Light penetrates darkness. It can be as dark as night in this room. And somebody can strike one match. And it is amazing how one small match will penetrate the darkness. All of the darkness becomes aware of that one light. You are the light of the world. He said, now let me tell you what they're going to tell you to do as a Christian. They're going to say, now listen, keep, your, keep the light to yourself. Oh, by the way, Jesus is the light. He's the light. We follow him. We do not walk in darkness but we have the light of life. And Jesus is the light in us. 
But so here Jesus is, the light of the world in us, and the light penetrates darkness. The light dispels darkness. The light exposes darkness. And so they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, put your light under a bushel. Put it under a bushel. The light bothers me. The light bothers me. The light, you're you're entering my space with your light. And I like my space. And I don't like anybody's light exposing. You see, Jesus said, you've got a mandate. You've got a cause. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill. You can't hide your light. Just let it shine. Now get this. Let it shine in the closet. That's not what it said. Let your light shine on Sunday morning at 1030. That's not what it said. Let your light, the light of Christ in us. He's the light of the world. We follow him. We do not walk in darkness. We have, let your light shine before men. That they will see the light of Jesus in you. They will see your good works and they will glorify God with their lives. Hey, we got a cause. Is there not a cause? Why should the uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? Let me ask you a question. Who has the truth? The church has the truth. Who has the power of God? The church has the power of God. And the Bible says that we are light. I want to show you how the world responds to light. You say, well, man, Brother Fred, it's a battle, isn't it? People don't like Christians. People don't like the gospel. People don't like, uh, I mean, when you tell them that there's a God they're going to be accountable to and, and their sins will, they don't like that. Well, why is it? I mean, why, why, why? Oh, oh, listen, Gee, the Bible said it was going to be that way. In John chapter 3, now please get these words in your spirit so you'll know the battle you're fighting out there in the marketplace every day. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. Now, now, now get this. He loves everyone. He loves the people in the ACLU. He loves homosexual lesbians. He loves adulterers. He, he, he loves secular humanists. He, Jesus died for all men. I mean, I mean, the ground's leveled at the foot of the cross. He loves people. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't. It says here in the next verse, not only did God so love the world, he gave his only son. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. They were already condemned by their sins. He came that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes not is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, this is why there's such a battle. Now, listen, tune in, and this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, but that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, when you're light, you go to work. Maybe there's another Christian there. I hope so. But you go to work, and you're light. And, and they know you're light. And, and the light penetrates the darkness and dispels the darkness. 
But they don't like that because men love darkness rather than light. They love the darkness because they're lost. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil, listen to me now. This is the person who's living a sinful lifestyle. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. And that's their only hope. Everyone practicing evil hates the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that their deeds may be clearly seen, that they're done in God. Boy, I'm telling you, you're talking about a mandate. You're light. You're the light of the world. Don't you put your light under a bushel. You just absolutely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And then you say, Jesus, shine through me. Shine through me, Jesus. At work today, let people see you and me. Let them see your love. Let them see your compassion. Let me see, let them see the fact that there's a God that loves them. And let them see that there is peace and joy that you never find in Jesus. You know, I, I remember growing up as a, a person in, in the church and uh, you, you remember that um, little chorus we used to sing all the time? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. It ain't a little light if Jesus lives in you. And folks, I want to tell you something. You just got to let it shine. But they don't like it, Brother Fred. They hate the I know it. They, their deeds are evil, and they hate the light. They love the darkness. It doesn't matter. You're light. So just go be light. And just expect God to use it. Light, that's our mandate, that's our agenda, that's our cause, to share the gospel of Jesus with every person and to be light in a dark world, to point men to the light who is Jesus, the Son of God. But he also says we're salt. You know what salt does? Salt preserves. The only way to stop moral decay is for Christians to be salt. You know, before they had refrigeration, you know how they... What they would do, they, how they kept meat from spoiling, they'd just cover it with salt. You couldn't eat it, and you'd, you'd be thirsty for two weeks, but, I mean, they covered it with salt. Like country ham. It, it sure is country. It's full of salt. I, I mean, telling you, the way they preserved meat was they covered it with salt. They salted it down. They'd get on a ship. We're going to take a long trip. had no refrigerator. They'd salt it all down in a barrel, and, it'd just be and the salt would keep it from decaying. Is America decaying because the body of Christ has lost its saltiness? We've lost the savor that no longer are we a preserving element in society. Salt preserves. It stops decay, moral decay. But let me tell you what else salt does. It irritates. You ever been maybe running or something and and you're just doing a lot of exercise, you decided to go jump in the ocean, and you had some raw faces on your body, guess what happened? The salt in the ocean irritated you. It stings. Did you know that salt irritates? And that's exactly when a person is being salt. There's not only a, 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 a saltiness that speaks out and stops decay, but it irritates people because they're morally decaying. Do you understand, is there not a cause? It, oh, yes. The cause is that we share Jesus Christ with every human being by our life and by our lips. And the cause is that we be salt and light. 
That's the mandate of Jesus, that wherever we are, we... Luke 4.18 has to be light and salt in this city. And every one of you have to be light and salt where you go when you leave here today. Here's the last mandate, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person. That's our cause, to be light and salt in a dark and decaying world. That's the mandate of God. And every one of us, by the power of Jesus, can be that and do that. And then, of course, there's the mandate to be an intercessor, to intercede, to pray for men in authority, and to pray for a nation. I love that verse over in Ezekiel chapter 22. I think it's verse 30. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 said, I sought for a man or a woman to stand before me, to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that it would not be destroyed. Now, I want you to get this picture. God said, and if you read Ezekiel 22, there was one evil after one evil, one wickedness after one wickedness in the nation. And so God said, you know, I saw the peril and the wickedness, and I just looked for a man or woman who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that it would not be destroyed. Standing in the gap before the Lord, interceding on behalf of the land that it will not be destroyed. An intercessor praying for this nation. You know, the Bible says that we're to pray for those in authority. That, that, that doesn't, that's really not an option. He said to pray for them. We read in, in 1 Timothy 2, listen to these words. I exhort you that first of all, supplications... Prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority, that they may live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're to pray. We're to be intercessors. We're to stand in the gap before God on behalf of this nation. If my people, 714, that's why we're going to meet at the Mitchell Center on 714, 6 o'clock. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You see these signs, 714, in, in yards we have them. You can get them. The, the signs, 714, reminding people, pray, pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven. I'll hear from heaven. Forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. It's called intercessors. We can pray. I close with this. You won't know what it is to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap before land, before men and women, before God for land and men, women that they won't be saved. Man, it's one of the most moving things. The tragedy is the answer didn't come. But in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham God said to Abraham, the evil of Sodom is rising up before me. He said, I am going to destroy Sodom. And you know the question that Abraham asked God? I'm just going to tell you what he asked him. In Genesis 18, verse 23, when God told him he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their perversion, Abraham came near and said, 
Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? God, I know you're going to destroy that city, but are you going to destroy Lot? That's who he was thinking about and his family. Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Then Abraham began to intercede. He said, Lord, let me ask you something. God, I want to plead with you. If we can find 50 righteous men in Sodom, will you spare it? He's interceding. It was wicked and ungodly. You're talking about sinful and wicked. Well, God ultimately destroyed it with fire and brimstone. But Abraham said, if you just got 50, will you? Lord said, I'll do it. If there are 50 righteous men in that city, I'll spare it. Abraham said, Lord, what about 40? God said, I'll do it. Abraham said, well, Lord, 40 is a lot. What if there are 30 righteous people in Sodom? He said, I'll do it. Well, Lord, you know, and, and he, he, he saw the mercy of God. He said, well, let me ask you something. He got down. He said, Lord, if there are 10, would you have mercy? He said, I will. What did Abraham do? As wicked and sinful and ungodly as Sodom and Gomorrah was, Abraham interceded before God and pled for that wicked city till he got down to 10 people and God couldn't find 10. And fire and brimstone consumed Sodom and Gomorrah. And the book of Peter tells us that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, making them examples to those who would laughter after live ungodly. You can be an intercessor. You can stand in the gap before the Lord on behalf of individuals and the land. That's our cause. That's our mandate. I'm telling you, is there not a cause? David, thank you for showing up and telling these bunch of Israelites who were bowing before the, the Philistines and a giant and had forgotten the great God they had. Thank you, David, for showing up and saying to them, listen to me, is there not a cause? There's a reproach against Israel. And this man is defying the armies of the living God. He said, let me tell you something. There is a cause. And I want to say to you as a church today, there is a cause. We've got to share Jesus Christ with every man and woman we can. We've got to be light and salt wherever God puts us, knowing that there's a battle with the darkness. And we have got to be intercessors. We've got to have the spirit of Abraham. God, I know this is a wicked nation. But God, there are righteous people here. There are righteous people here. And God, would you have mercy on this land? Hear the cry of your people, Lord. Have mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. I'm telling you, intercessors standing in the gap before the Lord for the land that it will not be destroyed. You can do that. And under God, we are mandated by Jesus to do that.